Welcome to The Wood Podcast, where we explore solutions to some of the world's most critical challenges in energy and the built environment. I'm your host, Lauren Gallagher. Thank you for joining the third episode in our Future Workplace series, where wood experts reimagine the role of the office and offer insights into creating a comfortable and safe workplace. Today's experts will discuss how the purpose of the office is changing, how we can use technology to integrate remote workers for a resilient future, and how we can incorporate green and well being concepts into workplace design. I'm joined today by Elizabeth Huckins, Senior Architect and Interior Designer. Elizabeth is currently focused on helping clients navigate reimagined, responsive, post pandemic workspaces. Elizabeth is based in Portland, Maine. We're excited to have industrial sector lead Jack Chavone with us. Jack is a client advocate focused on providing environmental, health, and safety solutions to strategic clients. Jack is based in Providence, Rhode Island. Also joining us is Camila Atkins, Senior Architect. Camila partners with clients to unlock solutions to complex challenges, focusing on sustainability, occupant health and wellness, and high-performance design. Camila is also based in Portland, Maine. Thank you for joining today. Since the start of the pandemic, employers have been keeping the pulse of changing guidance to prepare, plan, and respond to make offices ready for a safe employee return. As businesses begin to look at their long-term approach, the demand for tools, technology, and solutions to facilitate this journey has increased. From a completely remote workforce to the creation of hybrid workspaces, employers are exploring various working models to bring the human element back into the workplace. How has the purpose of the office changed? Elizabeth, do you want to kick us off? So employees are really craving more flexibility and control over their schedules, even now more so than before the pandemic. And they need a variety of spaces to um, address their reasons for returning to the office. People miss human interaction, socializing, collaboration, and just the spontaneity of being in an office space with other people. So businesses really need to think about why people are coming back to the office. They don't want to come back to a plexiglass bubble or be surrounded by temporary partitions. They want a space that's humanized and welcoming. And they want to come back to something better than it was there before. What are you seeing as a result of this appetite for change? So some of the things we're seeing being done are rather than having static cubicles and partitions that only serve to divide space, we're starting to see multifunctional furniture that's becoming part of the architecture. And this might be freestanding desks, freestanding storage cabinets, shelves that can be easily reconfigured to create physical or perceived boundaries um, to define private spaces or pods of spaces. And the key is that these these furniture solutions are being responsive to changing needs of the workspace that you can reconfigure easily in the event of another pandemic to address public health, um, social distancing, and creating barriers, providing privacy. But they're not they're not those temporary you know, plexiglass partitions that we've heard about going up in offices. They're things that make sense that if, as an investment that can serve functions um, in times when there's not a pandemic as well. Camila, I'm wondering, how will these changes affect building design and space? 
we've been asked the question if large offices are a thing of the past. And we've also seen like surveys showing that up to 35% of companies plan to downsize. So while we're seeing these changes, we really don't think that offices will go away. But yeah, the footprints of these offices will definitely be impacted and will include uh, more flexibility uh, and will accommodate more hybrid work models. So Jack, tell me, what are you experiencing from clients with hybrid models? One of our big um, financial uh, services client that has offices all over the country and actually in parts of the world have adjusted over time as to what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. You know, at first, they thought they were going to bring people back uh, as they were before. Um, but then that, that quickly changed as the pandemic continued. And then they looked at the hybrid models like you, you were just describing, and they recognized that it was a, a very it was a very successful model having people working from home uh, to the surprise of many managers and to the surprise of many, um, uh, many employees as well. So what that turned into is, OK, how do we bring them back from a hybrid model as you as you described? It doesn't look like it did in the past. We have to look at smaller spaces. We have to look at more flexible lease options. We will have to look at potentially divesting some of our owned buildings, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been quite an interesting journey. A study by Cushman and Wakefield has said that more than 103 million square feet of office space has been vacated since the start of the pandemic. Additionally, about one in five offices in the U.S. are predicted to be empty in 2022. Jack, how are you seeing clients deal with surplus properties? Yeah, that's a very good question. And many, many are dealing with it as, you know, as their lease agreements come up. Others are dealing with it in a more holistic way. Um, it is, it's a, it's a significant cost to an organization. So they're recognizing, you know, many benefits, benefits to the employees, and also benefits from a bottom line perspective because they're able to lease less square footage or divest some of their um, properties that may have high, high market value because of their locations. As far as the future use of those spaces, that's the question that I think uh, a lot of people are wondering. Yeah, we're also seeing that a lot of offices may be taking this time to reconsider, you know, maybe some of their offices can be closed and instead uh, they're renting uh, co-working spaces. We're also seeing some uh, multifamily developments starting to accommodate um, co-working spaces as part of the facilities. What about uh, shared space with other companies besides the company you're working for? So a lot of our clients are saying they're moving into these shared spaces where the person next to them may not even be working for the same company. And I think there's, that's a big adjustment for a lot of folks because uh, confidentiality, but also I think there, there could be a potential benefit. I think though that 
you could start seeing some really interesting cross-industry collaboration. And, and you know, when you, architects often work closely with engineers. And when you are in an office space with a different disciplines within your industry, you get some, some natural uh, cross-collaboration that in learning and exchange of knowledge that's really beneficial and can help you think about problems in new ways that you haven't thought about before. So... I can definitely see if you have um, people from completely different companies doing totally different things, you're going to get naturally new perspectives. We're seeing companies embrace new technologies. According to Microsoft, nearly one in three decision makers state that their organizations will increase investment in digital due to the pandemic. So how will technology support our future hybrid and agile working models? In the agile workplace, it's critical to have appropriate tools and technology available in the different work settings, whether it's a charging station or like a mobile charging pod for your laptop so you can work by yourself and without being tethered to a an outlet um, or mobile video screens and webcams so that you can you know join a video call anywhere and with by yourself or with several other people and the key is that technology needs to be fast and simple to connect to for it to be effective um, we're seeing cameras that um, can be placed in the middle of a table and they can actually track the speaker um, so that remote workers can feel more like they're actually in the space sitting at the conference table and looking at the person who's talking and something that's become even more important with hybrid work models and reduced office footprints is having an automated reservation system. And it's just another way of giving employees more control over how, how and where they work and when they work. And it allows fewer seats um, and reduced office footprint because remote workers can pick a space and they know that they have a space available to them. So when they go into the office, they feel more like they're a part of the team. We're working to support teams through their environment by enhancing their experiences and providing psychological and physical safety. Um, some of these ways may be ensuring people understand that the protocols are in place to keep them not only safe, but engaged in collaboration and experiences with their coworkers. And uh, we want staff to feel safe and want to come back to the office. Um, and the ways that we're supporting this through um, architecture and building design, uh, you know, there's a myriad of ways. Uh, some of them are, you know, we're still, we still have hoteling workstations, uh, but now these may be modified with cleaning protocols or usage protocols where you don't have more than one person using the, that, that station uh, per day. Uh, we're also implementing reservable focus areas also with their own cleaning protocols. Um, and also collaboration and meeting areas that have audiovisual solutions that accommodate both in-person and virtual attendees. So we're really seeing that flexibility is paramount. Technology has, has been terrific through this and it's only getting better. And I find that, you know, we're able to accomplish a lot because you don't have the travel time that uh, w whether it be on a plane or you know in a car or somewhere else trying to get to the destination you have all that added value time to either spend with a client or or spend um, on other things where you can be connected 
So obviously, I think there will be an ele element of it going forward. Um, but if anybody's like me, I'm I'm not an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I enjoy seeing people in person. I believe a human aspect is incredibly important to connectivity. And I think the hybrid on that side of the house will be the same as well. Studies show that people who work in green buildings show a higher level of perceived well-being. What certifications help increase that sentiment in the workplace? Camila, what are your thoughts? Most people are familiar with the LEED Certified Building Standard, but not many may know about the well-building standard and the values it brings. While there is some overlap between these two standards, LEED is more focused on environmental aspects, whereas WELL focuses on overall impact of buildings on human health and well-being. The well-building standard measures sustainability using uh, building concepts such as air, water, nourishment, light, movement, community, mind, and many more. I guess some of the more unique aspects may be like um, looking into movement, which uh, leads into active design, making going up and down the stairs uh, more enjoyable and encouraging people to do that and helping people be more mindful in creating areas of refuge or areas where they can relax and maybe have a technology-free area, for example. I think the pandemic has uh, raised the attention of many clients to these other standards. Uh, so for example, the, the client that I was speaking about before, they had a very aggressive lead certification program within their company. Uh, very, very focused on green building and LEED certification, but they also have an incredibly collaborative culture with, with their employees. And they were concerned, you know, coming out of the pandemic, people hear about the transmission of the virus through ventilation. And they said, okay, how are we going to address that? What are we going to do different? Um, what if our employees ask? And uh, we, helped, we helped this client look at these different standards that are out there that are less known. And these standards do provide those types of life safety issues, if you will. So these standards, I think, got a very uh, a spotlight on them as a result of, of the pandemic. So in addition to well, Camila, I've also heard of a similar fit well standard. What does this cover and how does it relate? In general, uh, they are similar. Both the well building standard as well as FitWell, um, you know, they already had a pretty robust system for certifying buildings and projects. And uh, because of the pandemic, they came up with a health safety rating for uh, well building, and FitWell came up with a viral response module. But a lot of it is policy based, which is great because it means clients can evaluate and make revisions on their company policies and make changes across their entire portfolios. Right, and they, have a, they actually have a standard to point to for the employees to say, okay, this isn't required uh, by the CDC or it's not required from a regulatory body, but we're going above and beyond. And this is a standard that's been, been 
put out there, and we are we are um, adopting it, and we're going beyond it in some cases. And that's important for people to feel comfortable coming back and walking into an office space. A growing number of companies are starting to make commitments to achieve net zero targets. I'm curious, do the well and fit well building standards help facilitate that process? So they both do help with energy performance and they do look at, you know, as you're looking at elements such as uh, light or, or HVAC, they are looking to make things more efficient, which will make for a lower carbon footprint. Uh, but it's not the focus of these standards, I would say. So I think for clients where that's the top priority or we're trying to meet those goals, I, I think it will vary if that we're looking at a renovation versus a, a new, new construction. So there are more stringent standards or standards that look more closely at at it reducing that carbon footprint. Uh, some of the, those may be uh, like passive house. That will be probably one of the most rig uh, rigorous along with ResNet. So both of those will really get to lower carbon emissions. It's interesting because the net zero decarbonization is driven very, very much by environmental, um, you know, net zero contribution of carbon to the environment. And these standards are driven very much about, about obviously efficiency, but very much on the well-being of, of, of people. So there's, you know, it, it, the, the benefit is, is you can achieve um, uh, pace with both, with both results. I mean, so it is, it is interesting because um, on the CDP report, the Carbon Disclosure Project, report, which many companies do now disclose of what they're doing relative to their uh, decarbonization plan, I would expect that incorporation of some of these standards would prove beneficial to getting a higher score. So in my view, having an office with these building standards would prove to be a greater draw for employees as people place a higher value on sustainability. That's a really good point, Lauren, because you're you're talking about attraction and retention of employees and that's that's your workforce that's coming back to your workplace and if employers are providing spaces that have achieved these um, green building standards or are targeting you know net zero or carbon decarbonization goals think about a socially responsible workforce and who you're attracting and how you retain employees thank you so much for your insights today it's been a great conversation. I have one last question. What would you recommend to someone who's wanting to explore these standards we've been speaking about? I think there are so many options to choose from. I, I know it can seem daunting, but uh, if you visit this the, the website and become just generally familiar with the standards, I think that's a great starting point you know, to understand and see what may resonate with you and your organization. Also, engaging a professional which is familiar with the standards is always a great option. Uh, we have been helping clients identify uh, which, cert which certifications may be a better fit for them uh, through either goal-setting workshops or, or uh, gap analysis. You know, if they're already incorporating a lot of these aspects through policy, we can look and compare, you know, how much more or 
what would be a better fit given the work that they have already done. I think that the most important piece, even if they're not pursuing certification, is to set up clear, measurable goals at the beginning of the project. And that brings us to the close of this episode on the future workplace, where we explored the safety concerns of employees in an uncertain world and solutions to build resilience to future events. If you'd like to connect with today's guests or explore related insights, please visit us at woodplc.com podcast, where you can also subscribe and receive updates to the Wood Podcast. At Wood, our curiosity keeps us pushing, innovating, making the impossible possible. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. Take care and be well.